Welcome to another message of hope from Gateway Church Australia. For more information or to contact us, please visit gateway.asn.au. Have a seat, everybody. So great to see you here this morning. We have been uh, in this series called Becoming for quite a few weeks now, and we've been talking about the fact that we are all unfinished sculptures. And if we are allowing the spirit of Christ to chisel us, we are becoming uh, the image of what God wants us to be, which is the image of Christ. And uh, we're learning to live and love like he did. And we said the point of becoming a disciple is that we become the sort of people for whom living God's way is not a difficult thing. It is our natural choice, our joy, and our default. Now, today I'm going to be talking about disciples of Christ becoming lovers of purity. And if you're here today and um, you're maybe on a journey of finding out what this weird Christian thing is all about, then you are very, very welcome. And you're going to hear perhaps some of the most countercultural teaching uh, that Christ calls us to as Christ followers. And I hope by the end of this I can give you a vision of beauty and joy, not of don'ts. The word purity has actually got some pretty bad um, connotations for many people. It can sound like straight, boring, a bit repressive. But how does it sound in, in this context? I hiked into the mountains and drank straight from the purest of streams. I stared into the eyes of my newborn baby, such purity. Or maybe what you've said in your if you're married in your, in your marriage vows, I dedicate myself to the purity of having only one woman or man to love for as long as we both shall live. Totally different feeling, isn't it? If we are disciples who are being sculpted into the image of Christ, then our natural direction will be towards purity. And why is that? Because that's what God is like. And this can apply in many areas of our life. You know, in the way that we speak, in the way that we, we think about other people. But today I want to apply it to our sexuality. You know, there are two areas of our discipleship which I think most of us find the most difficult to submit to Christ. One is our sexuality and our, the other is our financial life. And uh, we're going to tackle both of those over the next two weeks. But what, I, what I'm saying today could be triggering for some of you. But I want to remind us right up front about the grace and the love of a God who heals and forgives and redeems and wants the very best for us. It could be in the area of your sexual discipleship that you really experience the life-changing implications of moving from this sort of come and see belief in Jesus to the come and die discipleship, the follower of Jesus. Because a disciple wants to move towards all that God, God has for him. And here's a big statement for you to take away. A disciple is not just content to be forgiven. They want to be holy. 
As difficult as that sounds, there's a paradox in this sacrificial stance because as we lay down our desires for the sake of holiness, what he promises to pour over us in return is wholeness. There's a a verse in Proverbs 3 that says this, The ways of wisdom are sweet, always drawing you into a place of wholeness. Seeking for her brings the discovery of untold blessings, and she is the healing tree of life to those who taste her fruits. God's wisdom in all areas of life is worth pursuing, but especially in our sexuality. We are in the middle of a very interesting cultural moment, don't you think? Especially when it comes to sex. Because in a culture that has long ago thrown off so-called repressive attitudes to sexuality and turned it into a purely recreational activity that should be enjoyed for personal pleasure between two consenting adults, we are seeing a massive backlash especially from women who are suffering from this casual attitude towards sex. Sex is often misused and the consequences can be devastating. The church has been saying this for generations, despite its obvious failings in some areas. But now even secular commentators are picking up on it. I was reading an article this week by Emma Wood, She is not a follower of Christ. Um, She's writing on the ABC website. She has a PhD in moral philosophy. And she was writing about the idea that the government have put up to have consent training in high schools. I'm sure you've you've heard about this. Um, But she believes it will do no good unless we also change our basic attitude towards sex. Now, she writes this analogy... Go with me with this one, please. Let's begin with a thought experiment. Suppose you're at the house of an acquaintance, let's call him Jack. Jack is in a playful mood. He wants to have a water fight with you, but you don't want to. But Jack pressures you, persists and keeps asking. You make it clear that you're not keen on the idea and you keep saying no. Time passes and it looks like Jack has dropped the issue. But then, splash! While you weren't looking, Jack has hit you with a water bomb and is now standing there with a grin on his face, hoping you'll retaliate. Looks like you're going to have a water fight after all. Did Jack do anything wrong by initiating the unwanted water fight? Perhaps. At the very least, what he did was annoying. At the worst, an inconvenience. But supposing that what Jack did was wrong, how wrong was it? Was it seriously wrong? Would you be justified in claiming that Jack violated you and that what he did was so bad that he deserves jail time for it? Probably not. The worst you could say is that Jack ruined your afternoon. What Jack did was a bit wrong, maybe moderately wrong, but not seriously or grievously wrong. Why not? Because it was just a water fight. Jack pressured you into a trivial recreational activity that you and most people normally don't mind that much anyway. So the fact that he disregarded your wishes can't be that big a deal. Now, substitute water fight for sex. 
and we might begin to see why it seems unintelligible to so many young men today that sexual assault is a big deal. Young men have grown up in a culture that tells them that sex is a recreational activity with no deeper significance. Unsurprisingly then, young men have come to internalise the idea that initiating unwanted sex is on par with initiating an unwanted water fight. It's just a bit of fun and nothing that any reasonable person could get upset about. Now, Emma is, in this article, is commentating on young men, but I know that both sexes misuse sex. And she goes on to say that there are two competing views about sex. One is that it's just a recreational activity, and the other that it bears great significance. And our innate moral compass tells us that the significance view is true. And this journalist even calls the church to lead the charge in educating our young people as they have for hundreds of years. And she quotes the Bible. As the Bible says, Mark 10:8, when two people are involved in sex, the two become one. Something of spiritual significance is going on. And we in the church would say not only spiritual significance, but sacred significance. How do we turn this around? Because I know that many people in the church have exactly the same attitudes as people outside the church. And once again, those of us who teach and lead need to apologise for not talking about this more because this is not a private matter. This is a core issue, issue of our discipleship. So how do we become the sort of people for whom living God's way in our sexuality is our natural choice, our joy, our default well, I just want to have a moment of honesty here. To answer this question, I have been researching for weeks, reading books, articles, trying to find a way to communicate what I believe is God's heart on this. And I realised that I was trying to find a way to make something seem sort of good and cool that many of you would consider repressive and outdated. And I felt embarrassed to paint a picture of God's sexuality that was all about don'ts. Well, God challenged me on that and he gave me a different direction. He said, paint a picture of the way I planned our sexuality to be, the way God planned human flourishing, a vision of human flourishing that is part of his very good creation. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that story about that young boy that grew up in a dysfunctional home and he left, left that family and was placed with a foster family that was good and, and uh, functional. And he said he only had to see, see a good functioning family to aim for it himself. Well, what I want to do is show you a vision of God's view of sexuality because that's what we need to aim for. So... I went to God's Zone. Now, the, the tech guys are laughing, saying these are my sex dolls. They are not sex dolls. 
they are little people. Okay. So we want to start with this vision, with the end in mind. So let's start with heaven. What does the Bible say about sexuality in heaven? Well, it might surprise you to know that Jesus himself said there will be no sex in heaven. What? You all say. (laughs) He said there will be no marriage in heaven. And the beauty of that is that we won't need it. There will be this incredible community of male and female friends in this intimate relationship because we're, we're just there loving God and loving one another. It'll, it, it will be wonderful. But let's take a step back because we're not in heaven yet. We're on earth. So here we have, obviously there's going to be a lot more people than this, but I'm sort of talking about, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the, the community of, um, of Christ followers. So here we are on earth and we're all in this beautiful family that are, are worshipping God and finding our, our sense of identity in him. We're loved, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. We have a purpose, and that is to bring the kingdom of God onto earth. You know, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, as, as, as we start to bring the kingdom of God to earth, some people are... Some people are going to join hands and partner in marriage. Actually, that Batman and Batgirl are here, so we're going, to, we're going to put them together. So some people will join hands and partner together, and that is good. That is part of God's plan because that's, that's the way children come into the world, believe it or not. It's, oh, we even have, I have a baby here. And maybe I have a fur baby, all right, because that's what some people prefer. I'll put them over here. We, we all know that the main, one of the main ways that God's love goes from one generation to the next is that parents who love God love their children into loving God. So this is, this is a, a great thing. This is why... But, you know, sex is not just about biological reproduction. Sex is the glue that holds this partnership together emotionally and physically. And it's part of God's good plan for us. And it's one of the reasons why serial monogamy can be, can be so destructive. What I mean by that is like two people who who get together and they've got a sexual relationship and then they break up and, and then they go into a, another sexual relationship and they split up. And, and this, this is just devastating for people's souls. And I know there are people in this room now who have been through that and you know what I'm saying is true. Some people will remain single, no less precious and in many ways a powerful part of God's kingdom because even the Apostle Paul himself said he wished more people would stay single like him so they could concentrate their time more on fulfilling the mission of, or without distractions. Now why, why is this vision beautiful? Well firstly, sex is put in its proper place. 
It's not our defining identity. It's not the thing that brings us true freedom. I mean, the fact that there will be no sex in heaven tells me that it is a temporal thing. But on our earth, it's a beautiful glue that holds two people together into a lifelong partnership. Sex is not used to dominate, not used for personal pleasure at the expense of somebody else, And sex is respected for the spiritual significance that God gave it. The other reason this is beautiful is that all people, married or single, have a sense of purpose. And that is to glorify God in all that they do. The other thing that it does is that it puts godly boundaries on our sexuality. It's not anything goes. The reason for that is that God wants us to flourish and we do not flourish when we just follow our own feelings and desires. Now, there's some powerful wisdom in the book of 1 Corinthians and I want to read a section here for you. The Apostle Paul was speaking into the church in Corinth, which was a highly, highly sexualized culture. And he said this, There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let God see. So let people see God in and through your body. So much, so much advice in that passage. And I hope if you're in a life group, you get a chance to unpack that. But. And there is so much to talk, we could talk about that, you know, the difficulties and the realities of when this vision is broken, when it doesn't go the way God wants it to. And I just want to assure you again about the grace of God when things go wrong. And in our Going Deeper section, which you can find on YouTube or through your your, um, church email, I'm going to be talking a little bit about divorce and pornography, two big issues in the church. But I just want to finish with my version of the I have a dream speech. This is, my, this is what I believe is God's dream for us in the church. And, it, and it, it goes a little bit like this. Men and women in our church community will see each other as brothers and sisters, made in, the, in total equality in the image of God, each respecting the differences of each other and celebrating similarities. Couples who are attracted to each other will grow together in a healthy way, learning to respect each other as friends and co-workers in the kingdom long before they see each other as sexual partners. 
the church family would support these couples and help them to affirm their choice of partner with the question, will this person partner with me for life in growing towards the image of Christ? Couples don't choose to live together before marriage, thinking this is the most convenient or financially responsible way to go, but they will know that the ultimate intimacy and passion should be paired with the ultimate commitment of the covenant of marriage. What would God want to say in this cultural moment? And if you don't take away anything else, please take this away. Consent is not enough. Aim for covenant. Children are loved and nurtured by their biological parents. And when that cannot happen, when mums and dads are trying to do it on their own, there is this beautiful family of God that just surrounds them and helps that child to grow into the image of Christ. Single people are respected and honoured and included in the family of faith, perhaps becoming valuable mentors to children and thriving around intimate friendships with other single and married people. I believe this is how God wants to chisel us into his likeness, how he planned us to flourish, can we trust him enough to allow him to challenge some of our attitudes and our behaviours? Disciples are becoming pure and it's not about our past people, it's about our future, where he is taking us. And I know this will be an issue for many of you. And some of you need to do some deep soul work. And God is challenging your directions and your thoughts. Some of you just need to know that you are forgiven. And we, the church wants to be here. Our pastoral team want to be here for you. You know, your prayer card, you can put... You can put a confidential comment in there. I'd just like someone to contact me. And we have people who would want to walk with you through this. God wants the best for you. Sorry, I'm getting emotional because as leaders in this church, we have had to walk with people through so much pain that happens when this vision breaks down. I don't want that for you. I want joy. Can we pray? God, forgive us for opening our hearts to you only in the places that don't challenge us too much. Give me a vision for your design for the world, for my life and the life of my family. I hand my whole self to you, even my sexuality. Cleanse me, forgive me, renew me, mould me, chisel me into your image. Amen.